0: Welcome, Welcome to, to Homestead, Homestead Gardening in the Texas Gulf Coast with a Kristen Howard, with myself we'll and my husband, bit as we discuss what it's been like our for gardening us, experience, homesteading in Houston over the past decade on a two-acre unrestricted um, property. In part two of this episode, we we'll talk about the evolution of our garden on our garden, from common mistakes most people make when enough. starting a homestead and well, homestead garden,
1: when, long, when so to push pause or quit a homestead a task that you weren't actually prepared
0: to follow through with, um, working smarter, not harder, when to spend money on quality materials, solutions to common problems, and our favorite and most successful crops to grow. We answer questions we've been asked throughout the years uh, through the stories and, and banter. And it Unfortunately, and it's difficult to squeeze great, in all the fun stories hurt. across a full decade so in a, such a, a short podcast my, episode. My but I think work, we covered a lot of our favorites, both good and bad. A word of warning: really this podcast water. episode was very so lightly, lightly edited, and I did not attempt to remove any foul language if any was used. So listen with caution, or not at all, if you're easily offended, otherwise enjoy. I remember that. I didn't know you would. That was hilarious. It was one of those things where it was like it was tragic, but you knew it was already going to happen. So you just enjoyed the moment of the dog being so happy. Uh, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we've had many fencing configurations. We did the, um, the miniature fencing around a small garden. It was kind of our first year. Then we abandoned it for the field, which was crazy. Within well, then we had uh, the ducks. So we added a little bit of fencing so that the dogs couldn't get in. And then we did the full on, Built like really well built uh security fencing, which had the six-inch deep um trench with wires the dogs couldn't dig under and the whole nine.
1: Well, we so we didn't even trench in this one. Um if you don't if you remember, we actually bent it over. Oh, that's
0: right. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. So
1: so okay, my, my philosophy on all of these things now is we went through several iterations of fencing, and the big question is why would we do that? Because at the time it was cheaper to do it the way we did it and then the next level it was the next cheapest way to do it, it my was suggestion also, to it everyone was,
0: real quick it was also knee-jerk we I, I did things like buy ducks before i had fencing you know right
1: yeah we buy ducks and then suddenly we're like oh we can't put them with the dogs we need a fence um my suggestion to everyone is if and when you buy or even lease a property where you want to do stuff like this spend the money or add it into your mortgage to put in the right type of fencing to split everything off the right way, um, which we finally did. And suddenly it was like, oh, there's no more dog problems at all. Because we, I borrowed my, my boss's um, Bobcat. We put the little auger on there, drilled a bunch of holes, dropped posts in concrete, put real wire fence around the whole thing. And we left like I don't know, 10 or 12 inches bent over on the ground all the way around so the dogs can't dig under because they start digging and they hit fence. Um, Do that when you buy the property, not six years later after you've already been through six sets of fence.
0: Well, uh, so the only things we hand dug, we hand dug the two posts that connect to the shop. That was it. Um, and that wasn't so bad, but I wouldn't yeah, have wanted to do it everywhere. Like it, it wasn't as bad. Like every, anybody could do it if they really wanted to it just take a few extra weekends. Um, yeah, no,
1: I, you can, you can build your own fence if you want, but like if you have or can borrow or can rent the equipment, rent it because I dug 90 post holes in an hour, right. Which is weeks worth of work by hand.
0: And, uh, th- the cattle panel fencing with the T posts is Actually, pretty great. The problem with that was um, obviously doesn't deter the small dogs. I did have a small dog for a while, and he would kind of get into a little bit of trouble himself. Um, but the uh, on it, the dogs will rip through it if they can. If there's something good on the other side because we're still using a temporary fence uh, for my rose garden to deter the dogs, and it's just cattle panel t posts. It's not that special, but there's nothing over there they care about, so they're not trying to get in. So it's not a big deal. It's more of a visual barrier at this point than a physical one.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah. Um, so when we did start gardening, we did start immediately, uh, almost exactly 10 years ago. It was one of the first things we did was start planting food, uh, the banana <laughs> that was never going to have bananas. Mm, yeah. And then we had that cucumber crop that worked out. We had all these seeds that we tried and only the cucumbers worked our first year.
1: Cucumbers I don't know. It's too well here.
0: I don't even eat cucumbers. I think cucumbers
1: do well everywhere.
0: Uh, just by the way, I was talking to people on the internet um, and in the don't Gulf forget. Coast, the cucumber <laughs> on the interweb and the cucumbers are not doing good this year for anybody, including me. You haven't noticed, but they're not doing well in our garden. No, I haven't um, noticed. <laughs> but then I took I took time off gardening partially because of that herniated disc and partially because we had the goats and they kind of just mangled everything. Um, but now I got back into it. I think, what, what do you think? Like four years ago, I started back into it a little bit.
1: I think it's been less than that. Um,
0: I've been crazy about gardening in like for like the year and a half.
1: Well, I think it was 2019. I think what happened, we took a break. We had too much going on. Basically if you overdo it with the homesteading and you have jobs, um, both of them suffer, right? So we had to stop the homesteading stuff for a while and for probably about a year. I think in 2019, we built those raised planters, which we built these raised planters that were like three and a half feet tall. So we wouldn't have to bend down and do stoop gardening all the time because we both had back problems. It was a whole thing, right?
0: The unfortunate part about that is that soil compacts and I used some compostable materials in the bottom, which is fantastic in theory until you realize the next year you have to top off that soil.
1: <laughs> yeah, top the soil. So, so, so I like, ended so up having to bend over good. a lot. So those things worked. They worked well enough that it was a nice, small set of manageable beds to grow a small amount of stuff. Um, and then the next year, Kristen was like, oh, I can do it again. And we cut them all apart and made a whole bunch of raised beds. And now the garden is gigantic.
0: Yeah, I did a lot of physical therapy and at home, um, to try to rehab the issue that was making me not be able to bend over in the first place. And, but the, my recommendation for anybody who wants to do a bed that has an injury, a raised bed, 18 inches is even 24 is pretty good. If you have knee problems, maybe 24. So you're not bending down quite as much when you sit, but build a lip and then sit on that lip and work from there instead of, um, standing the whole time, that might be a better solution. And, and it is, I, I mean, if you research beds for usually the bed constraints are for elderly people, honestly, anybody with any injury it, at that point feels elderly. So we're going to use those constraints, you're just
1: feeling real lazy,
0: real right? lazy, real lazy. Um, that works too. Now I do a six inch raised bed just enough when we have these heavy rains to try to keep the roots from drowning. Um, I would love to plant in ground. I tried that a little bit. And if we have a week of rain, those crops are, are toast. There's just nothing left of them. It, it,
1: it seemed like in the 10 years we've been here, the most successful thing we did was build a bunch of raised beds, but just a couple inches off only the ground. four to
0: six inches max that we right. really haven't done that yeah. much. I mean, it's not that much
1: just the, the soil. I mean, the soil here is not bad. It's great actually, but we get enough water and enough moisture that it drowns the plants out with a few exceptions like the scotch bonnets were like, we don't care, but everything else um, really needed to be raised a little bit.
0: A lot of the hot peppers I've noticed love to be in ground. They they grow wonderfully in well-drained soil, but at the same time, they will just anchor themselves in this clay clay sand, whatever kind of midway loam that we have that's a little bit heavy on the clay. Um, and they do great. They actually not so, not in bad shape. Our peppers from, what was it, two years ago, the scotch bonnet crop, they were only supposed to grow three feet by three feet based on what was said to be their size online. They ended up growing, what was the final height? I think it was five feet high and four feet wide on a few of them. I don't know
1: about that. I feel like three by three on average was about right.
0: I measured them, so I know that they were bigger than three by Hmm. three.
1: So for for a little backstory, um, we had grown scotch bonnets, just two plants, six, seven years ago, something like that, I don't know. But each plant produced a thousand peppers, which was great. And we finally ran out of peppers. So I wanted more scotch bonnets and we couldn't find them. We went all around town and finally we went over to the Arbor Gate, which generally has everything. And they had one flat of 18 scotch bonnets. So I said, let's get them all so no one else can. So we did, we bought all 18 that were in town. We planted all eighteen. All eighteen plants produced, so I got like thirty thousand peppers.
0: And I had called for a full month, twice a week, to the Arbor Gate and all the other surrounding nurseries near us within reason to find out when the Scotch peppers were Scotch bonnet peppers were coming in, and was told they aren't germinating well. The nurseries can't get them to us. Blah blah blah. So yeah, when we found this one flat left, we did buy them all, and I did not feel bad about that. Because we weren't going to get any yeah. the rest of the year.
1: And we probably won't need any for a decade because I just I dried them all and sealed them up. Um, but if you want to grow peppers in Houston, the scotch bonnet is probably the best growing and most versatile pepper you can grow. And it's real spicy. But you just you know dilute it a little bit if you want it less spicy.
0: No, it's a great pepper. It's, it's pretty healthy, too. Um, all the hot peppers really deter a lot of pests anyways. They did pretty well for us. Um, the the trick to growing really good hot peppers is your timing on fertilizing and not letting it produce fruit early. So I actually really stunted my production early on to maximize my yield later. And that was the key, just having the cojones to pull off those blooms and say, no, I'm sorry, it's not your time yet. Um, that was really successful for me. And afternoon shade, I really, that was a, a big big one for me. I didn't do a lot of extra watering because of that. Um, I, I eat most of everything out of the garden. I tried to eat most of it because I put in the work. Um, recently it's just me running the garden. Um, because functionally that's just, that's just, I have a little bit more time, but I make you eat a lot of things, which foods from the garden have you actually enjoyed eating?
1: I, my, my general opinion is that green stuff is for rabbits, but um, I do find that stuff out of the garden is better than from the grocery store. So I'm willing to try it. <laughs> so for me, I like, like the green beans are great. The spinach and lettuce is great um, compared to the grocery store stuff. Because the grocery store stuff is always just like add as much water as possible so it's heavier and bigger so we can sell it but it lacks some of the flavor. Um, But after that, in the actual garden vegetables, I guess we got beets, garlic, onions, those are all good. The potatoes always turn out well. Um, And then the fruit trees, of course, have some great stuff coming out. The
0: fruit has been phenomenal. Some years we don't get any and some years we get bumper crops, but the taste, it doesn't matter how cruddy they look on the outside or how small they are or any of that imperfections, the taste
1: is fantastic. So when when we started doing this, um, Kristen was very anti-fruit tree for some reason. Oh, she no, that's, trees. that's not true.
0: It. You are Mr. Fruit Orchard. There's just a difference. You were all no, gung-ho.
1: No. I wanted to grow some fruit trees. And Kristen was like, I don't care about trees. I don't like fruit. It was just like that. That was the <laughs> voice. Don't eat the fruit. Accent yeah. The- um, and so we started growing some fruit trees. And Kristen's like, I love the fruit trees now. They're so great. which is and i sounded just like that right exactly the right (laughs) voice um i highly recommend growing fruit trees when possible because suddenly weeds aren't that big a deal they're not taking over your fruit trees right you just you know trim around them occasionally um problematically though in houston the stuff that would seem to grow the best here like peaches for example would seem like a natural fit they're not it's really hard to grow peaches here because it's too wet they get diseases too easy so you have to treat them all the time um But we have had pretty good luck with citrus. Kumquats are probably the best ones. You can put kumquats in the ground. They just grow. You don't do anything with them ever.
0: My, so I I think in a previous podcast, I have like my top 10 citrus for the Houston area as far as cold tolerance and resilience. Kumquats are the top. And in my career as as a landscape designer, not one client has taken me up on my advice to plant a kumquat because they don't think they'll eat it. How would you know who goes to the grocery store and buys a kumquat? You don't know how good they are. They're pretty they're, good. They're pretty good. They're really yeah. interesting. Um, but you know, you're lost if you don't want one. Uh, <laughs> everybody wants a, a Meyer lemon. I think that's fantastic. But if you're new to growing citrus, start with something easy that you can definitely keep alive. Don't go for one of the harder things like a lime.
1: Well, so come, like the, if you want a potted plant, fine, put a lime or a lemon in it. But if you just want to put citrus trees in your yard in Houston, plant kumquats because they will grow, they'll produce for every year, they'll get bigger and you never have to touch them. They just do everything by themselves.
0: We have officially at this point grown every single variety of citrus or purchased. Let me be more specific. We purchased every single variety of citrus and failed at many of them, not because of us as much as the property, the conditions, the weather, different things like that. Um, kumquats been with us, since the beginning, that was one of our first citrus that we've planted. It, yeah, that I think thing, that
1: tree we have out there, what, like seven or eight years old?
0: It ha- I think it's eight years old. For us, it's our eight years old. It was already obviously oh, older. The, it's a 10-year-old tree, easy.
1: Um, I think but, the thing to understand about Houston that's challenging, it's not that it gets too cold because it doesn't. And it's not that it gets too hot because it really doesn't. It's that it goes from 80 degrees to 30 degrees in a day and back to 80 and then back to 30 in the fall, which plants get really confused about and it kills them. So I think kumquats are just resilient; they don't care.
0: Yeah, citrus trees don't really go dormant, and somehow the kumquat has overcome the issue. When plants don't go dormant, they can't handle cold. You know, so it's just it's an interesting resilience. Um, I love it. I, I appreciate that tree. It's super cute. It stays small. It's a small citrus, so it's great for any home. I really love it. Anyways, um, so we've had one
1: for eight years and it's what it's three feet around and seven feet tall at most.
0: Yeah. And I usually only see them when they're in pots. They probably won't grow more than five feet tall. They just can't. They can't get any bigger than that. Um, but they're, they're cute little trees. They're well shaped. They're more upright than they're wide, which is nice, like you said. Um, all right. So I appreciate that you like eating some things from the garden and that you actually can tell the difference in taste because I can. But I have, you know, the super palette. Um, if I'm going to be honest,
1: when Kristen if, says super palette, she means she's picky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, okay. Speaking of picky, I don't like to eat anything from the garden. If I'm going to be really honest, if I could survive and not have diabetes on pie and ice cream every day, that's what I'd survive on. But, um, I'll eat anything. She from the says garden. that,
1: but it would be like blackberry pie from the garden. So
0: yeah, no, it has still has to. Okay. There's conditions. <laughs> <laughs> My annual thing is when the dewberries uh, begin to ripen. It's dewberry pie season. I make at least one dewberry pie. That's the only dewberry pie I eat all year. So, but it's it's traditional. So It's
1: not just dewberry pie season. Kristen's like, we got to go pick dewberries, and she'll drag me out to go stand around while she picks dewberries. And dewberries, they're like little bitty things, you know. And you got to pick thousands of them, and they're kind of dispersed. And I'm thinking to myself, why don't you just wait till the blackberries come out? No, is what it's at. So the dewberries are so less
0: watery. So there's more consolidated it, flavor. It's it fantastic. Okay.
1: It's like it's like five one hour picking trips to get a pie worth. And but, then a couple of weeks later, blackberry picking season starts, and it's a gallon of blackberries per day off of this tiny little 10 by 10 foot plot that we have. So why even bother with the dewberries? Um, don't
0: don't forget that this year, when I was picking the dewberries, you were picking them and throwing them at me. So part of the reason why we're not getting a
1: lot
0: of we're not getting a lot of dewberries is because your participation is skewed. Um, let's see what foods from the garden have I had you try that you will never try again or flat out regret trying.
1: What's that giant ridiculous gourd that you think is a fruit?
0: <laughs> the zuka or the wax melon? Okay. They're both gourds. They, so just,
1: they're all the same to me. I don't know. Uh, well,
0: they taste different. Okay, you can't tell, but they taste different. The zuka is more watery. Um, no flavor that I am aware of. The wax melon oh, that sounds great. Okay, hold on. The hold on. <laughs> fiber is fiber. Sometimes the wax melon. We're talking about chameleon plants. They're chameleons. They can be anything you want them what to Kristen be. What Kristen
1: just said, fiber is fiber, which means it's basically Muralax. It's no big deal.
0: <laughs> the wax melon, okay, is an umame chameleon. It has no distinct flavor, but it makes your tongue happy. That's what umame is. The wax melon don't is
1: gorgeous. I call it making my tongue happy.
0: Well, you ate oh. it several times and didn't is know. That the, is
1: that the thing? We have like 85 bags of frozen in the freezer.
0: No, I don't recall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have this gigantic. freezer. the zuka. Freeze freezer, I think you put the we zuka got, away. We got this gigantic freezer on sale at Lowe's. Um, and you could probably fit like 10 dead bodies in there. It's huge. But it's currently filled, I think, mostly with cut up pieces of this weird tasting or no tasting gourd. I can't remember which.
0: I can't wait to figure out something to do with that, but I haven't yet, so I haven't touched it now. This is another tip for your
1: homesteaders out there. If you have something you're growing and you have no idea what you're going to do with it, you might use that plot for something else.
0: No. So... (laughs) Here's what happened with the wax melon, though the 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 zuka gourd was intentional. The wax melon gourd, here's what happened: they didn't germinate, and I was so ticked off because they were so expensive. And I reuse soil in the house when I start seeds. And the next thing I know, my soil bucket, which hasn't been watered in two weeks, has two plants growing out of it. And of course, gourds look like pumpkins. Pumpkins look like squash. Squash looks like Cucumber, you get it.
1: Of course. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, it's all the same family. I thought I had two pumpkins because I also tried to grow pumpkins and everything else under the sun the same year. No, they were wax melon, but I didn't find that out. So they fruited. So I put them in a place where not wax melon, which grow three feet long plus, um, should be at. And these things took off. They loved that I didn't water them. They loved that I abused them. They loved that they're in poor soil. They didn't care. So I love them. That's the that's thing. I love anything that doesn't want me around and want to be taken care of. It's perfect. And I brought these suckers in. Hence
1: chickens and goats and whatnot.
0: Okay. And <laughs> and I took these wax melon. And I said, okay, what can I do with these? And actually there's a lot of Indian dishes with wax melon. I didn't have to figure out what to do with those. The Indians figured so out This, for, is, this should for be me. a
1: stopping point and this for bent- right here. This should be... This should be a decision point. If the only thing you can find that uses a plant is an Indian dish, you should question, is it because the plant is good or is it because it. Indian dishes have so many spices they cover up the plant?
0: Okay, yes, that's the chameleon part. Okay,
1: <laughs> listen,
0: I, I, made, I, I, I decided to use the wax melon in place of apples for, I think, some sort of apple tart, apple crumble, something like that. And you were fine with it. You said it was actually pretty good. Pretty good is not bad. You,
1: you say you loaded up a dish with sugar. Cinnamon and, it was
0: cinnamon and a little yeah. sugar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sugar, I
1: mean, I so glad,
0: yeah. And crumble topping. So
1: mm. oats. So sugar and carbs and cinnamon. And Got fiber,
0: it. but and fiber. And that's an important So I think, I think the key here, again, is
1: we're, she's using this wax <laughs> melon or whatever to fill up the food with no flavor so you don't notice it. You do notice it, though.
0: Okay, I'm trying to think of what from the garden would I never try again, or what I've regretted. I don't think I'd ever admit it to you, so I don't think you know.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: um, I will never grow anything again that made me bend over backwards for it. Um, like I usually
1: pair tomatoes.
0: Well, those didn't; make, those are super easy to grow. I just don't eat tomato, so that's not they very were functional. Gross,
1: though. They weren't worth it.
0: Yeah. I didn't fertilize. So you have to
1: tomatoes, the tomatillos, all that stuff we've grown. It wasn't worth growing.
0: No, no. Okay. Here's the mistake that a lot of people don't realize the only reason why your homegrown produce tastes better than the store. Yes. They load up with water, et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't fertilize, then you do not have the proper nutrition in the food for it to taste good. There's a flavor profile created by nutrition in, in those plants. So yeah, you have a fruit but is it a good fruit? And the answer is no. And that's what happened with some of our earlier gardens. Um, but tomatillos in general, I've never been impressed by. Um, I think that I just, in, in general, I regret grow, or I don't regret growing anything, but I re- I wouldn't grow again things that didn't want to live. Um, and I've had more the success. Asparagus. Oh God, asparagus. It is not worth it. I, I, lo- I know a lot of growers that We'll try and try again for asparagus. And I think that's wonderful.
1: It takes um, two full years to grow asparagus from crown. It's crazy. It, the
0: crowns are expensive. I think if we're doing a cost analysis on what's worth it, asparagus is not worth it. Buying strawberries from crowns, not worth it. To me, I wouldn't, I can grow them from seed just fine. Why would I buy a crown? Asparagus is more difficult. Um, so yeah, I won't be trying those again. Um, as far as regrets are concerned with the garden, Oh, tiny dancing gourd. When it comes to gourds, my regret is tiny dancing gourd. That was a waste of money. It grew what so about, well. Um, it grew so well, but had no function.
1: What about the uh, dinosaur gourd?
0: No, I loved that. The dinosaur gourd. Oh man, the caveman's club is what it was called. Um, Kristen the loves
1: this thing, but this is the type of thing, like if you really hated somebody who lived in your neighborhood, you would plant these seeds in their garden. Cause it takes over everything and you can't get rid of it without burning it out, which is what we had to do. We had to burn it out.
0: Well, that's any gourd. Now with that said, with that said, I regret now doing that because all of my gourds now I let just grow from whatever's naturally fallen. And then I harvest and keep the seeds just in case I feel funny later and want to move this to a new property this craziness um sabotage a neighbor sabotage a neighbor of course. yeah i'm planning on throwing some at the cemetery don't tell anybody um just to see what takes over well
1: (laughs) it won't matter because they actually take care of that property
0: (laughs) no no the property next to it whatever that thing is where we got our dewberries. we're
1: gonna sabotage the random property next to the cemetery i think the
0: city owns it and they won't care
1: this is Kristen's targeted sabotage, by the way.
0: <laughs> I just want to see what happens. It's really crappy soil. I want to see what happens. Anyways, gourds will grow in anything. Um, but that Caveman's Club gourd was so interesting. It was completely worthless. There was no function about it. It was just weird. That's most gourds. Um, but today I would absolutely grow it just to use a, as a halloween costume prop Th- that reason alone is worth it for me
1: not a good enough reason
0: yeah it's a good enough for me um what's the most interesting thing we've grown or or are growing
1: well okay there's interesting things that we have grown and are growing and there's interesting things that i wish had grown properly like the Jabuticaba. Kaaba.
0: oh we're doing that again that one's great. That one's disgusting. It has like, it looks like pustules on the side. What yeah, is it actually?
1: Yeah, the is like a tree where out of the bark grow these little black, nasty balls that are fruits that panda bears and stuff like to eat. Um, it's also, it's a weird tropical, like deep China jungle t- type, type of tree. So it probably won't grow well here. So we have to kind of baby it. Um, you know what I think was one of the most interesting things we grew was actually the jacaranda trees which, um,
0: let's tell that story. Tell that story about the scaffolding.
1: So I grew these Dracula trees. They grow really well in places like South Africa where you don't have winters. Um, and they, they grow real tall. They grow 20, 30 feet tall and they have all these big, cool blue and purple flowers on them. And I thought this is a great idea. So I grew a couple and, winter was coming, you know, so this is before <laughs> the whole winter is coming thing, whatever that show is game of Thrones, right? This is before that, but I knew it was coming. So <laughs> I had this jacket tree. that was 16 feet tall. It was beautiful. No flowers yet. And I was like, I'm going to make it get flowers this year. Um, Cause I've been trying to grow it for years. So I went outside and I got a bunch of lumber and I built. Oh, a Back when lumber bin. was
0: affordable.
1: Right. Right. Before it was $8 for a two by four, which is crazy. Um, I built a, a structure that was 10 by 10 feet you know, to the ground and 18 to 20 feet tall. Um, and then I had this contraption where I could make it like an extra four feet by pulling on a string and it would you know, build an angled roof. On um, it. Can I interject
0: um, right here? Um, sure. This man is an engineer. I just wanna say that to everybody else who suffers as well with an engineer husband. Uh, go ahead, please continue. <laughs>
1: No one had to suffer on this. I did it all myself. <laughs> I had to build a contraption to make the roof taller because I was doing it all myself. That was just like a an end around having to get a friend over because I don't have friends. Um, but so I I did this whole thing and I wrapped it all in plastic, um, so I was protecting this big ass jackaranda tree. And the end result was it died anyway.
0: <laughs> so, but okay, I. Did we do a double plastic layer or do we do a single plastic layer? Because I know that that plastic layer did flounce around. We didn't have it properly secured somehow. I think the wind just really caught it hard. But did well, we have a double I, plastic layer? Because that does make a difference.
1: Uh, ish. But the thing is, you can do double plastic layer all you want. If your winter is too cold, it doesn't matter. So, what you're doing with the double plastic layer is isolating the air in between the two layers. So you have to have the cold air outside it has to cool the plastic down which cools down the next layer of air which cools the next layer of plastic that cools the inside air right so that's your double plastic layer makes a difference but only for a certain period of time right if you have a freeze for six hours your double plastic layer probably is more great but if your is for 32 hours well okay it's the same as having a single plastic layer for six right so And we had a pretty deep freeze that year. I think it was 18, 20 hours, which is long for us Mm -hmm. in Houston. And again, it's a tree that grows in South Africa. And it looks beautiful in South Africa, but we're not in South Africa.
0: Well, the only reason why we even got the tree that large to begin with is because the year before we had a warm winter. So in our minds, having only lived here a few years, going through a drought year, a rain year, um, a warm winter year, we were kind of under the impression, okay, we're not quite as wet. The wet thing is the unusual part. No, the warm thing is the unusual the warm winter, the drought is the unusual part. And so we were under the impression, that oh, we can have this jackaranda, we can make it through a couple of years. And if you can get a jackaranda through a few years by a few, I really mean more like five to seven. You can probably withstand a winter and have it come back from the roots, which one of our jackaranda yeah. did technically. Um, but yeah, if we have a two-story or one and a half story tree um and you're doing a temporary greenhouse around it yeah it's probably not going to work out in, in an actual real cold winter well, the, unfortunately the thing is like
1: in in houston if if you can get a tree like that through four or five years of winters it can stay uh, you could grow a large mango tree in north houston if you could get it through six seven maybe eight years of winters to get it big enough that it could sustain itself and stay warm through the winter. Um, You really could, you could have a large long living mango tree and they live to be hundreds of years old. The problem is protecting them enough when they're juvenile to get to the point where they can actually protect themselves.
0: Right, and one of the things we've learned while we've lived here is that in our specific location we're in Northwest Houston, it does matter where you're at Um, we we don't have an urban heat island effect. We don't have neighbors that give us a little bit of wind protection or um, anything to that nature. We have the majority of our property exposed to Northern winds. And what we learned is we have more success on the uh, Southern face, not because it's warmer. We have, it's completely tree covered. It's not warmer technically. It's just wind protected. We have a lot more success with a lot of our tropical plants or unusual plants on that side um, than on the other side that has more space. Um, so for the Jacaranda, we had it in the wrong location anyways. That, that was the only location to get enough sun and to get enough room. But our property is just not conducive. If we lived on the other side of the street, we might have a different situation. And that's that's the truth, is, is where you live in a very microscopic, um, I guess, platform.
1: It's a microclimate. The, right?
0: it, microclimate is more like, A few, uh, a city block would be a microclimate. You know, you can kind of, the urban uh, island effect is the microclimate of the inner Houston is a big conglomerate piece. But we're talking about a very small change. Other side of the street might've been able to grow and keep some of the citrus that we lost by being on the North side. You know, that's a very small nuance.
1: Um, And put in, again, it's not, really that coastal, but in places like Houston where you get hurricanes every year, um, it's less about that you get hurricanes and more about which part of the Gulf you're in because that'll tell you which way the wind is going to be blowing when hurricanes come to town, right? Because they all rotate the same direction in this hemisphere, right? So, And they all, well, not all, but generally land in about the same places, so you're going to get the same direction of wind that you wouldn't get otherwise.
0: Yes, our hurricane arm turn comes from the north, even though the hurricane comes from the southeast. What is the most time-consuming or labor-intensive thing that we've grown?
1: I think there aren't specific things that are time and labor-intensive, as long as you grow them the right way. So before we did raised beds for everything, it was just constant weeds and- You grow something and then the weeds would take over and kill the plant. So why bother growing it, but you already spent on the labor on it, right? So do things the right way the first time and everything is pleasant instead of being obnoxious and dying and you fighting the weeds all the time.